Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn Bunker. You know, folks, if you are paying attention to the news, then you are very aware of the fact that we are on the brink of war. Uh, that COVID numbers are doing well in the areas that were first hardest hit, um, but that everyone is sitting around scratching their head wondering what the fuck the Biden administration is actually doing. Um, and we have had votes by the Republican Party that prove once again that they are the party of insurrectionists, that they are the party of white supremacy, and that they are a cult. Right. Um, They have censured the people two people uh, that actually make any fucking sense. Um, And they are continuing to double down on Trumpism, continuing to double down on racism. Joe Rogan is, you know, the latest uh, celebrity that they are embracing, um, which tells us everything that we need to know. And I have said this so many times that if you find yourself talking to somebody who is, well, I'm a Republican, but I don't stand for these things, you can no longer continue to call yourself a Republican and say, but here's the laundry list of all of the things that you no longer associate with. Because then if in a sensical world, Well, what the Republican Party now represents, you no longer are a party to, right? And so you would think that there would be more people publicly disavowing the Republican Party, publicly leaving, right? That people would be leaving in large numbers, except they're not. And so what does that tell us about the state of affairs in America and the state of white supremacy? You know, I am, I'm working right now on a piece and- I was harkened back to the 2016 election and thinking to myself and saying out loud on Canadian broadcast uh, television that this was going to be white supremacy's last stand. Now, when I said that, it wasn't as if, oh, it was going to be four years and then it was going to be back to quote unquote normal, because what we know right now is that there is really no sense of normal. What we had allowed right? What we had told ourselves was normal behavior was anything but, right? The disparities uh, in health, in wealth uh, in this country between races, between genders um, has always been excruciatingly problematic, right? Um, When we talk about uh, marginalized groups and where they fall right on the political totem pole, we know that they are always folks that are at the bottom. We also know that there has been no policy, no measure, and frankly, no fucking Republican president that has ever offered the American people how we are dealing with some of the most complex, right, and layered issues and problems that we have. 
their decision is that you just ignore it, right? Or you erase it, or you gaslight people into believing that it doesn't exist. And so when you have then the alternate party of Democrats who essentially are not exercising their, I I don't even know what the fuck you would call it at this point, that not exercising their power, not exercising their voice, you know, pretending that everything is is ho-hum and okay. I, I, and, and that, you know, we're living in a time of just like political adversaries and, and there, there isn't, uh, the, the state of our country and our democracy hanging in the balance with just a handful of months to do something right about those people who the Republicans say, you know, are just participating in regular political discourse. I don't know what political discourse involves shitting in the halls of the Capitol building, but you know, what do I know? I'm a traditionalist apparently. The reality here, though, folks, is that people are tapped out, right? I've talked to you and you all have talked to me about your level of exhaustion and your frustration and just, you know, uh, being burnt out, being burnt out by the discourse, being burnt out by the demeanor and just one bad headline after the other. But the thing that I consistently come back to is our future, which is young people, and wondering what they are thinking, right? I can remember going into politics, right? Going to college, and that was on the heels of the Clinton administration, right? Um, That was on the heels. I remember being in high school and sitting around with friends, other friends that were in, you know, government and politics uh, into it and watching President Clinton tell the American people that he didn't have sexual relations with that woman, right? Um, It was, politics was, you know, not just tabloid page six fodder, but it was exciting. It was exciting to believe that you could participate in how this country shifts and expands, right? And that there was an excitement that was there. I wonder, right, about young people who are coming, going into college, right, at an age in our political discourse where it is so horrific, where there is no conversation, there is no debate. Like, how do you teach this right now? And what are young people, those 18 and 19-year-olds who, you know, should be filled with possibility, what do they think? Um, about the world that they are inheriting and and growing into as, as adults. And so I'm excited um, for you all to take a listen to my conversation with returning guest, our friend, Dr. Christina Greer, who is Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University here in New York. And we will talk about the lay of the land and where we think that Democrats go. But as a professor who has made it, even though she is a tenured professor and an esteemed professor um, who doesn't have to, no longer has to take up these, you know, freshman politics one-on-one classes, realizes the importance of doing just that, that ensuring that the people, right, the professors who are laying the foundation for the future leaders understanding of politics are doing so in a very real and textured way. And so I'm excited for you to take a listen to my conversation coming up next with Dr. Christina Greer. Folks, I am so excited to welcome back to Woke AF Daily, our friend, associate professor at Fordham University, Dr. Christina Greer. She is also a political editor at The Grio. Dr. Greer, Christina, girl. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but a month into this new year of 2022, um, I am feeling really underwhelmed with where Democrats seem to be headed. I am underwhelmed with this administration uh, and their stalled agenda. I am underwhelmed with uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. I'm tired of saying their names. I'm tired of the gaggles following them around the Capitol like they are the second coming of the Beatles or Beyonce. I don't know which, Um, but I am over it. 
and just in general, as I keep talking to folks, and we are what, eight months or so away from midterm elections, people just feel over it, like over the entirety of it. There is no energy. When you look at NBC poll numbers uh, for enthusiasm about midterm elections, Democrats are lagging right? Where of course the GOP is now surging because you don't need to have an agenda. You don't need to have any of these things. You don't need to tell the truth. You don't need to believe in science. You can just spread lies and surge. How are you feeling about this moment in our politics right now, as we head into the most consequential and probably the last midterm election that is free and fair and open? How are you feeling? Yeah. May we live in boring times again, I beg. Um, I try not to get too personal with it only because this is my chosen profession. So if I think about it on an emotional level too much, I will just stay in bed under the covers and Mm. not go anywhere. I also can't have a brave and exciting face when I go into the classroom multiple times a week and try and inspire a whole new generation of kids to actually want to be a part of politics either running for office themselves or voting or just being interested in reading the paper. So there are a few things that I'm trying to contextualize for them and kind of remind myself at the same Mm -hmm. time. The party in power oftentimes loses the midterm elections. That's just, it happens to Republicans, it happens to Democrats. What is worrisome, yes, is that there seems to be a malaise and a frustration and a real disdain from Democrats because of what they feel as you know, sort of unproductive administration under Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. What frustrates me most about this administration is they're actually doing a lot of good stuff. They just don't, per usual, Democrats don't know how to articulate their wins. So Republicans are running with this message of they're doing nothing. And it's like, well, first of all, they are doing quite a bit under the constraints, but the reason why they don't have big wins is because of the Republicans. The Republicans are just saying, even when Joe Biden compromises with us, and gives us what we want, we still say no. Or we'll say yes and take it, but then we'll tell our people we said no, right? And so they they control the narrative in a lot of ways. And Democrats are constantly playing defense to what Republicans, and they need these two bedraggled senators who are just lavishing their 15 minutes of fame. And so, you know, I said this before, and, and we live, we're citizens of the state of New York. Chuck Schumer, I need you to get it together. Right. I need you to sort of get your LBJ on. And like, we never, we should know who Cinema and Mansion are, to be quite honest. Right. Chuck Schumer, mm-hmm. you should have gotten mm-hmm. them together a long time ago. You should have given them what they needed. It's called log rolling. Right. Um, but what they want is attention. And what they want is to sort of hijack the narrative because it's this false narrative of bipartisanship. And this false equivalency of like, well, both parties are being obstinate. It's like, no, 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 no. One party, the Republican Party, is trying to take away, as you said, this might be our last free and fair election because it's mm-hmm. always an asterisk with free and fair elections. You remember 2000 with Florida. So the fact that Cinema and Manchin are aiding and abetting that type of behavior across the country, not just in their home states, lets us know that the message isn't getting out. Like Joe Biden should be letting Americans know every single day this is what I'm doing. And use your surrogates, right? Use your mm-hmm. mayors. Most mayors in major cities are Democrats. Use your mayors. Use your governors, the few that we have left that were lost under Obama and state houses lost under the Obama administration. Use them to go out and be the surrogates to tell everyone what you're doing. And what you're doing is a lot. The fact that we still have people in their homes, that's the Biden administration. The fact that people got paid real cash money to not be out in the world during the height of the, the pandemic. Um, you know, these past few months, that's Joe Biden. Right. And so they're, they're finding money in various ways. Cause you know, we got the money. Like, let's be clear. We're one of the richest mm-hmm. nations in the world. We got the money. We just don't want to use it on certain people. So I think my frustration is that the Democrats never articulate all the stuff that they're doing for people and they're not using people who want to be used. Right. Tell me what I need to be saying. Well, how can I be the champion so that we can get people inspired to turn out in midterms because we know when Republicans win in midterm elections, it's not because they have more voters. It's because they use two things. One, the institutional mechanisms to prevent Democrats from voting. And then two, Democrats just tend not to turn out in the same rates as Republicans during midterm elections. And so that's how we're going to see most likely this pendulum swing. But Joe Biden and his administration have eight months to ring the alarm 
mm-hmm. to say just how dangerous this is. But I think that there's a simple, there's a type of apathy that people have where it's like, well, we've been on high alert forever, right? And then you add politically, we've been on high alert since right. Donald Trump came down that gold escalator and called Mexicans rapists. And then we've got a pandemic. And then we've got unemployment. And then we've got mass deaths. Almost a million Americans have died from COVID. Say nothing about people who are languishing in hospitals and long-term COVID people um, who were once healthy and and did all the right things, but somehow got COVID and they're they're just never going to be the same. So, and then you have you know parents who are just like, I'm homeschooling. Like what? I haven't taken algebra since ninth grade. Like. What am I supposed to be doing? So there's this exhaustion mm-hmm. that Joe Biden is competing against. This like global exhaustion. But for Americans, you know, our middle class, I'm just going to say blanket middle class. I'm not going to talk about the black middle class just yet. But the blanket middle class is holding on by a thread. But we know to be black middle class is literally to be one paycheck away from poverty. Come on. Because most black middle class people, we're in mixed class households, mixed class families. Right. So we know we've got, you know, good jobs and we may work for ourselves or whatever, but like we're in a tenuous position. We don't have savings. You know, when our grandparents die, we don't automatically become millionaires. We tend to be from families where we have to like come together as a family to bury grandma, not, oh, grandma's house, you know, is in the white part of town. And so it's now worth two million. We don't have that luxury. So Mm. this exhaustion that I think black people have. Where it's like, oh, you'll save the democracy again. It's like, I'm tired of saving this country. Look, Come we, we understand why we have yes. to do it. I mean, I've got this candle of Stacey Abrams behind me, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I have it just because I, I have the utmost respect for Stacey Abrams. But it's also this reminder, like a tongue-in-cheek reminder for myself, where it's like, I'm tired of us being Saint Black women. Saint Danielle, tell us all the news we need to know. Saint Professor Chrissy, you know, educate us. It's like, you know what? You good liberals. Pick up the slack. <laughs> Do the work. And I think I said this, you know, on the podcast when I was with you and Ture, where it's just, you know, when I was younger, we had this big house and, you know, companies coming over at three. And I'd, I'd ask my mom, like, so what do I need to do? And she would just look at me and she's like, look around. <laughs> like, I don't need to give you, like, you know that we're about to have 100 people up in this house in approximately four hours. Do not keep asking me what I need to do. Like, you know, these trash cans need to be empty. You know, these bathrooms need to be clean. You know, get the vacuum out, get the broom, get the mop, the the dust mop, the the wax the floors. I mean, we were full Cinderella up in that house. But I just think that so many white Americans Mm -hmm. who mean well are looking to black women. Like, so what should I be doing? And it's like, are you serious? Like, are you serious right now? You, You were asking me to help you figure out what needs to be. Look around. Convince your dad and your uncle and your and your mom that. Voting Republican for these white nationalists is going to hurt the country in the long time. Stop telling me that your dad's awesome, but he's he's voting against my voting rights on a daily basis, right? I mean, like, I talk to people all the time, and it's like, they think it's enough for them to pat themselves on the back because they're on, like, the good side of history. I was like, yeah, but your entire family isn't, so why don't you do the heavy lifting? Because they ain't going to listen to this little black girl with a PhD. You, you spend mean, that you time. Know, but, you know, y- you say so many things. That makes so much sense. I mean, one, like I I could do an entire month on the level of exhaustion, on the level of languishing, on the level of, you know what, today I'm actually in the mood where I'm like, here's the match. Y'all want this shit to burn down. You don't want America to function in the way that it was. Woke up this morning to hearing that the killers of Ahmaud Arbery uh, got a backdoor deal with the federal government, you know, to make their time in prison easier. I'm like, you lynched a man in broad fucking daylight. Right. But like, but once again, let, let black people wake up to the fact that not only is this country not equal, not only is our politics and our democracy hanging on by a thread, but like you ain't shit. Right. It doesn't matter what it is that you do, whether you're going out for a jog, you're going for an Arizona iced tea, you're going around the block or you're sitting in your goddamn car. Right. Or like me, I'm a birder. Can I just enjoy nature like everybody else? Can you just, no, no, you can't. And can you sleep in your bed? No, you can't do that either. And I think that when you tick all of these things off and we do it as a personal reminder, but it's also like with every single one of those instances, I want to go and lay down. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm tired of hearing about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris having all of these wins in the first year, but they don't know how to, they don't know how to message you. We just finished four years under Donald Trump, right? 
A man that, and an administration and a Republican party that has become so disgustingly cruel, so vicious, so violent, so rage-filled, and they have single-handedly figured out what makes their base tick. It doesn't matter that their base is white supremacist. It doesn't matter if their folks are Oath Keepers or they're Proud Boys because they figured out what makes them tick. And they give them all of the red meat and all of the things that they need in order to keep functioning. So the question that I have for you, Christina, is that, you know, it isn't enough for us to continue to say, oh, well, Democrats don't know how to message, particularly when we're talking about messaging being the difference between life and death. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a million Americans have died of COVID because of messaging, right? right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but white people don't, they're not at the life and death point yet. They're getting little glimpses, right? Texas Democrats are like, what? Abortion rights? Like, what are you doing? You know, like they're little glimpses. But I've said this before and I, it sounds blunt, but I'm, it's just how I feel. White people don't understand the capacity of white people. Mm. They don't understand what white people are capable of. I think mm. there, are a lot, there are a lot of white people in this country, good white people, like white people who were either on the, on the team and like will fight for the cause or just kind of like the ones Martin Luther King warned us about, like the moderates where it's like, mm-hmm. listen, I'm not going to stand in your way of progress, but I'm also not going to put my skin in the game, like settle down. But those two groups of people do not understand January 6th. They see them as like, well, I mean, it's an overreach, but like I can sort of see, cause like those guys are like my uncles and like, there is just a, I can see how they have a lot of frustrations. Like, no, 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 you don't understand that. Like when you, when you really read history books, cause I mean, this is the part of whitewashing our history, right? Which we've always done. I mean, CRT mm-hmm. is just another iteration of it. It's like, you don't understand the number of white people who were killed in the civil rights movement either the ones who had the skin in the game or the ones who were just on the sidelines and weren't virulent racists, right? And so it's like, I don't think that the vast majority of white people in this country understand the extent to which certain white people will go to burn this country to the ground with them in it. They don't care. As long as colored people and immigrants and all the folks that they've been told are stealing from them, Forget that it's their own party. I mean, this is I use this quote all the time because it's so real. This is why LBJ is my favorite president. It's like LBJ said, because, you know, don't forget, he was poor. He was from Texas. He mm-hmm. used to be a good old boy. And then he evolved with the times because he was smart and he, he felt like he needed to. Whether he was genuine about the Civil Rights Movement, the Voting Rights Act, and the Immigration Act, I don't know. And I, I don't, don't care. care. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. He signed <laughs> don't the care. paper and he gave the pens to Martin Luther King. So here we are. But he was just like, he said. If you can convince the poorest white man that he's mm-hmm. better than the Negro, then you can pick his pockets, his pockets all day long. All and I think long. that's what the Republican Party is looking at Donald Trump like, wow, you unlocked the secret code. Like you and your, you know, thousandaire status. But it's like that frumpled suit, that cotton candy hair, all that is an aesthetic to make people feel like he's regular and he's with them. That sort of broken English. I mean, he uses fewer words than Mr. T, right? Like he is this person where he can go to the the dregs of society and make them feel good. And even the wealthy folks, they can excuse it and say, well, I don't like the packaging, but I'm still going to vote for it. Right. And this is why someone like Yunkin is so dangerous because he's actually quasi educated and he comes with the LL Bean, you know, fleece vest. vest. And he says, if you're listening closely enough, he says the same things as Donald Trump. He just says it. Nicer. In a, a much more professional and educated way, mm-hmm. which gets people to vote for it. Because at the end of the day, so many Americans, white Americans in particular, who are still holding on to this Republican Party, it's like, just be honest. You care about money more than people. It's fine. Just say it. But I'm like, but just here's the say thing. say it. But, but, and this is where, this is actually where I'm going to say something that I don't normally say because I don't normally do devil's advocate and I don't normally do both sides. But let me tell you something, what I have realized and why I become, uh, why there are days where I am just wanting to throw my hands up is because Christina, both of them only give a damn about money, right? And this is what I said. I'm like, you know, do you go with the party that says F you to your face or the one that smiles in your face and then says F you behind your back. Because to me, that is right now the distinction between Republicans and Democrats. 
Republicans are ready to lynch every single one of us that does not look, love, and pray like them, okay? That is not white, that is not cis, that is not Christian, that is not like an avowed, quote-unquote, real American. They're ready to get rid of every single one of us and put them back on the plantation, the boat, the wherever, right? Out of sight, out of mind. But Democrats, with an opportunity to actually do more, right, you have... Joe Manchin driving around in a Maserati and you have Kirsten Cinema going to Europe to go fundraise, right? In the in the height of a pandemic. So you have these people, even the 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 policy, the bill right now that is going around uh, going around the hill that is about Hey, how about you don't have the ability as a sitting member of Congress to be able to do insider trading? How about you shouldn't be able to do that, to get a leg up. And guess what? It ain't a bipartisan bill because it's not going to go anywhere because both Democrats and Republicans get to make money off of their inside intel. And so no one wants to do away with that. And so when we get to this place where we recognize that we are dealing with one unabashed evil and one that is fairly negligent, right? Then what do you do with the population of people and particularly with your students who are trying to enter into this field when all you do is sit back and you're just like, this is just all about money and whoever gets the most wins. Right. But I I think the difference is this. And so this is at least what I tell myself, what I trick myself, what I tell my students, whatever it may be. There's still enough Democrats throughout the country on all different levels of government who are actually working towards certain things. I think sometimes when we talk about, and and money is is permeated in all facets, like in all levels, right? Even when you're running for mayor or city council or whatever it may be. But I do think that Democrats, because we organize ourselves in parties, right? Parties aren't mentioned in the constitution, but we've always had parties in some iteration. Mm -hmm. Because this is the way that we get politics done. Right. Because someone who just has an interesting idea isn't necessarily going to get elected. You need a party structure to assist you. I'd much rather be with a party that's like, ah, well, at least we're not going to rip the whole institution away from you being able to participate. Right. At least I'm not going to throw you in jail for giving Danielle a glass of water while she's standing online. Hey, maybe it's actually not an inspirational story that a black woman waits in line to vote for Barack Obama for 10 hours. Oh, right? and that's God. that's the media's fault. But, you know. Like, yes, I, I, I think that the Democratic Party is at least there, there are enough individuals in that party that are working towards like, this is, you know, we're people of color. I mean, Republicans have have chosen and made it very clear that 97 percent of who they want to put forward are white men. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. When you look at the judges that Donald Trump put in place, when you look at the people who are running and of course they highlight their like random colored person, you know, the, the lieutenant governor of Virginia now who's an immigrant or Nikki Haley, child of immigrants, you know, like they have their special. Yeah. They have their tokens. I mean, like, like, yeah, let's be clear, but, but but they are, who are complicit in white supremacy. Exactly. Cause Hey, guess what? You don't need to be white to be white supremacist. Right. Come on. Same way. You don't need to be a man to participate in patriarchy. Hello, white women. Right. (laughs) Like, and I learned that from Mark Twain um, (laughs) and camp, but that's a whole nother story when I was 10 years old. So (laughs) someone was like, how do you have this like full understanding of like patriarchy and white supremacy? I was like, I went to camp, (laughs) sleepaway camp to be specific. Um, So I say that because when I'm talking to my students right now, I always teach intro to politics for someone of my stature, who is the associate chair of the department. I'm the chair essentially of the Lincoln center campus. I am tenured, right? I've written books and articles. Um, for me to teach an introductory course is kind of odd, right? People of my stature would teach advanced level courses. I always teach intro every semester. That's the course that, you know, most of the time adjuncts teach, you know, like people who are in graduate school who just need a few extra bucks and, you know, they come into a department and I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause we, you know, you usually teach multiple intro classes each semester. I'm like, one, I like to steal all the smart kids from the other majors, <laughs> but two, the intro to politics class is your foundation of politics. I'm yeah. getting you interested in reading the newspaper. I'm getting you interested. I mean, my specialty is American politics, but you know, I have lots of people who are obviously interested in international comparative mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, then we can talk about what's going on in Brazil or Ukraine, right? And so, and and related also back to America, 
Because if we get into an interaction in Ukraine with Russia, like we ain't got no money. And Putin knows that, right? And so we can talk about those types of things. I think what's, what is inspiring, I will say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this moment, because, you know, I always ask my students, I'm like, okay, so I'm talking about Barack Obama. I'm like, how old were you guys again? And they were like, eight. I mean, so they're getting younger and younger, right? Like when I show the war room about Bill Clinton's 92 campaign, they weren't even anywhere near born. They don't know Bill Clinton. They only know Hillary Clinton, barely, because they were in kindergarten when she and Barack Obama were duking it out wow. for the Democratic primary. Yeah. So you see what I'm saying? So like the, these important touchstones in our political understanding of this moment, how we have to understand Reagan, right, to understand mm-hmm. Trump, how we have to understand the backlash against Barack Obama to understand the how Joe moment. Biden, how yep. did you not think that people weren't going to work with you? Like, just because you're old and white. Like, dude, he thought that because he thought he was old and white. Right. And, and it's like, you walked yeah. into this black man for eight years and saw them say no at every single turn. So like, you just thought you'd be different. Oh, okay. But you know, so the thing is, I'm teaching kids who, they weren't around for that. Because you know, when I, when they said like, oh, I was six. And I was like, oh, so you guys were obviously actively reading the Times every morning. They were like, yeah, right between Paw Patrol, right? So like, <laughs> so I'm also trying to contextualize the history of this moment. Because I'm like, listen, guys, you all are too young to sort of be of the soap opera generation. You remember like, you know, we were days of our lives and another mm-hmm. world, you know, like all those stuff. I was like, so you guys didn't grow up on soap operas, but I was like, this is nothing but like sex and intrigue and backstabbing and all types of stuff. If you sort of look at it that way, and I'm not trying to say it's a game, but I'm like, you should be wholly invested in it because if you don't want them to rip out your ovaries and give them to your daddy, if you wow. have student loans, mm-hmm. if you care about the environment, if you have asthma or, a, a, you know, a sibling with asthma, if you went to a public school and you're like, this place is crappy. It's like, not all public schools are crappy. <laughs> Maybe yours was, but not everybody else's. If your parents had to pay, take out loans to send you to a Catholic school because you couldn't go to your public school, that's something. If you're in the military because you're trying to save money to go to school or if your parents are in the military, right? And you're wondering if they're going to come home, even though we're not quote unquote actively involved, but like, uh, stuff still pops off. So I'm like, politics, I literally take a piece of paper. I'm like, what is political about this piece of paper? And they're like, it's literally a white piece of paper. I'm like, no, no, no. Somebody's trees and somebody's country or somebody's state got chopped down by people who possibly weren't making real money. My grandfather worked in a paper mill for 43 years in Northern Florida, right? And people missing hands, missing fingers, all types of wage theft, you name it, because the black people had to work outside and white people got to work inside, right? And I was like, then the trucks going through people's communities and the pollution going through the Bronx, right? So, so like, by the time this piece of paper gets to you, all the political mechanisms and the global wow. company that has sold the, this paper company that is on the New York Stock Exchange, right? So, like, everything is political. A, a plastic pen is political. You know, so I'm trying to get them to understand that everything around them involves them. And doing that... Because I have this sort of this privilege to kind of be at the forefront of people who will be in the future, I'm a little less freaked out. The the present is a mess. But I also keep reminding them, and you know, one of my students was like, You're the only professor who keeps saying this. I literally say every single class, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Because every single I class. Feel, because I because we are. I, because we are. Because we're, we are. We're being normal, quote unquote. And I'm like, Hey guys, I'm going to extend you a certain modicum of grace. Now, granted, I still don't take things that are late because I'm like, I still got to teach you some lessons, right? And like, I can't have you out in the world thinking that everything's going to be, you know, you get time and a half for everything. You just get to hand this stuff whenever you feel like it. I was like, so we're still going to have some rules and some sort of standards in this class. But I was like, I want you to extend me a modicum of grace because I'm in the middle of a global pandemic. I can't see my family as much as I want to. I can't see my friends as much as I want to. I haven't seen you. I haven't given you a hug since we're probably at MSNBC before the pandemic. You know what I'm saying? So it's like all these things that make me whole, I'm not allowed to do either. You guys are having a college experience that is not normal. You Mm -hmm. might be living in a dorm, but it's still not normal. So like just this latent pressure that we're all in, coupled with the fact that this is roughly around the time that democracies die. And we're kind of tick-tocking on that that time period for America, as young as we are. But this is kind of when, you know, when democracies tend to sort of unravel. The, the number of people who are willing to help it unravel is scary, right? Because it's not like, oh, it's just a few bad apples. It's like, oh, no, we got like, we're orchards up in here yeah, with people like who want to see this country, the country 
burn. Yeah, mm-hmm. across the country. And, you know, again, you don't need to be white to have white supremacy. So it's not just, you know, looking over your shoulder for some hillbillies. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, they come in all shapes and forms and colors and ethnicities. And classes and economic and classes. status. And I mean, and like, listen, yes. Donald Trump still got millions upon millions of votes. I mean, he lost when he ran against Joe Biden. But 75 or 75 yeah. million people 75 voted for him. million people still so, said, I like what he's selling. I don't yeah. care that he said Mexicans are rapists. I don't care that he tried tried to sign an executive order. To I don't care that Muslims. 20, 22 of, women accused him of sexual assault and or harassment. Assault. I don't I don't sexual care assault. that like you have kidnapped children with no plans to reunite them with their families and there are still hundreds that will probably never be reunited. It's like I think right. that when you say to your students, we're in the middle of a pandemic and like democracy is unraveling. I I feel like the whole sentiment in America right now is just push through. Yeah. Right. It's just yeah. keep Stif- pushing well, through. This is, and this I'm is like, where our, what this is fuck? where our British this is where our British heritage is is not serving us well. You know that sort of just have a stiff upper lip. Let's not talk about it. Let's just power through. You know, like the kind of the old school British yes. style of like yeah. you know stiff let's upper not lip, be power let's through. not be hysterical. And I think for me, when I look at my students, because I mean, they're, they're babies to me, right? I mean, they're 18 years old. What I have to do, and you said something key about democracy unraveling. First though, I have to explain to them what democracy is. Mm. I can't explain to them that democracy is unraveling if they don't understand what this country is. So like their understanding of who America is and has been, because I got to talk to you about how she has been, right? I was like, you guys have always been told that she's basically this Ritz Carlton or this, you know, this four yeah. seasons that had, yep. you know, some moments of history, but that was so long ago. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is a hojo. This this country is a motel six. It's an economy. It is exactly right mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. And you know, when I tell them, because I, I mean, I don't know how old they think I am, because you know, A, I'm black, so I could be anywhere between like 18 and 87. But I'm like, when I tell them my mother only went to segregated schools her entire life from K through high school. My father integrated his high school. And I'm like, I know that you guys don't fully understand what that means, but I'm like, that means my mother was not allowed to go to school with white people. Like, not just, oh, she didn't want to, and they lived on the other side of town. It's like, no, no, no. It was illegal in the state of Florida where she was. So, And you, and you have to say that to them in like the context of, this was not a hundred years ago. No. Right? Like this is your mom. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, like, this was like, we love as a nation to say like, oh, this was like centuries ago. No, there are people who are not that old. Right? Right now that have very clear and vivid memories of how they grew up, what their right. families went through that were just like, again, Power through it. Oh, the right. civil rights movement. That was so long ago. No. No, it wasn't. No, it was not. My dad is only 74. And, you know, I went and lived with him for six weeks during the height of the pandemic in New York, where I was like, I got to get out of here. Um, and so I went to my dad, who lives in Delaware, and it was just, that's when I started birding. And, you know, I just had space, and I could be outside, and I could go for walks without, you know, sort of being so worried about catching COVID. This is, you know, in 2020. Uh, June of 2020. So we didn't have a vaccine. We didn't know how this thing was jumping from person to person. So I was like, let me just go kind of, you know, to a, a more suburban environment. And at night we had movie night every night. So we'd watch movies and it was great. Cause I haven't lived with my dad since I was in high school. Um, and he would tell me stories and Danielle, I'm like, this is stuff that's in history books. Mm. This man is having a cigar and a glass of rum. He is nice and spry. He is not old at all. And you know, the N-word stuff, you know, um, what I think is fascinating, he's an e- he's a life scout. You know, there's Eagle Scout as the highest of the Boy Scouts, right? And then I think Life Scout is like the second highest. And he was just like, oh, well, I wasn't allowed to be an Eagle Scout. So like, what do you mean you weren't allowed to be an Eagle Scout? He's like, well, Black people at the time in Miami couldn't be Eagle Scouts. Like, across the country. But like, you know, he was in the Eagle Scouts in Miami. I was like, what do you mean? And he was just like, well, they would make it such that the last badge was at the fire department. And you would never get it because obviously the fire department had no black firefighters. I mean, like all these things. So he could tell me the black person in Miami, the year, the name of the year that this black boy became an Eagle Scout because he was the first black kid to become an Eagle Scout 
something that none of them could have done. And so they were so proud and excited and all this other stuff. I'm like, this dude, I was like, Ruby Bridges is not even 70. Right. When we think about sort of these pioneers. And so I think so much of the power of racism and white supremacy and anti-blackness in this country has been to, to make us feel like everything's from Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. It's like, first of all, Martin Luther King would have been younger than Betty White when she died a few weeks ago. Yep. 93. Young. I mean, like, and not just by a little bit. Younger than Sidney Poitier. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, and guess what? He didn't die of cancer. He didn't die of a heart attack. Like, he was assassinated. And when you look at the public opinion from when he was assassinated and murdered, nobody liked him. White people-wise, right? They're just like, ugh, he's a terrorist. So this this kind of mythology that we're obsessed with in this country, that this is why I love being an educator, because most of my students are just like, oh, Martin Luther King, I have a dream. I'm like, let's read these speeches from talking about Vietnam and emancipating poor white people. Let's talk about that, because that's how you get yourself assassinated. Not when you're trying to free black people. When you're trying to have a global conversation about white supremacy, that's when folks are like, yeah, we got to shut this man from... From Alabama you know, real fast. I, I will say this. Um, one, I always appreciate our conversation so much because you just illuminated so many things for me, which is that America, like most places, is based on a set of mythologies, right? Like I continue We're low-key North Korea. Yeah. I, I continue to say, like, you know, there are people, many, there are generations of people in China who have no idea about the Tiananmen Square. None. Why? Because they don't teach it there. And like, if you know about it, it is because of oral history that has been passed down because it is nowhere written. It is nowhere talked about. It is, there is no museum. There is no nothing. As a matter of fact, they passed a law in China that the parents of those people that were killed, those students that were murdered, we're not allowed to grieve in public. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to mention those children's name. And so we wonder like, well, how do people continue to go on, right? And not know? Because it it has been extracted. You're doing the same thing. And your life has been extracted and set up in such a way. So when I talk about on this show and others about the matrix that we are living in, the matrix that has been created around America, the beautiful America, the great, this is what the fuck I'm talking about. So to be able to sit with your dad and get a one-on-one history lesson, just based on the vantage point of his life and how much gaslighting he has probably endured to be told that what he's experienced is something that happened generations ago, something that we don't need to talk about or understand the economic impressions of what has happened, right? And why we are where we are because of those times, because of those negations. Christina, this is why I always want to have you back on the show because we need to go back to 101 because I don't know how we figure out how to rebuild, restore, reimagine when we don't know where we orient ourselves from, where we don't have a strong foundation and really integral understanding of this country and how to fix it. Like you can't fix something that you don't understand. You can't build something that you don't have the tools for. Absolutely. And and I'll, I'll leave it at this. Whenever my students say the word slave, I stop them. And this is part of the mythology and the sort of erasure of history. And I'm like, listen, slave is a noun. Table, chair, cup, glass, pen, paper, slave. When we talk about U.S. chattel slavery that carried on for centuries, I was like, I always use the word enslaved person or enslaved African. I was like, because that's a human being and it's a relationship between two people. One is the enslaver and one is the enslaved. And I was like, so... In our history, we're taught, oh, slaves. It's like, oh, well, the slaves were doing this. It's like, no, 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 no. These are people who could not reproduce on their own. They couldn't have their own family structure. They couldn't They couldn't eat when they felt like eating. I mean, they couldn't go to the bathroom when they felt like going. Like, these horrible things. You know, it's like, oh, Sally Hemings dated Thomas Jefferson. I'm like, uh, if I'm enslaved, I'm not dating anyone. I'm being raped, okay, by Come on. one of the leaders of this nation. And so I think just even the minor ways that we need to change our language in this country. And this is why I appreciate Nicole Hannah-Jones so much because she'll be in an interview. I'm thinking of that god-awful Tuck Chod. Oh, Tuck, God. Chod. Chuck, yeah, Todd, whatever. Chuck Ch- Todd. Chuck Todd. Yeah, mm-hmm. interview. And he keeps saying, well, 
you know, parents and black and parents. Ama- and, she's and, she, like, and she's like, so if you want to say white parents. Say, say white parents. Say because, white parents. Because the thing is, it was always, you know, when, when Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama were running, it's like, well, woman versus a black, a black person or a black man. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's a white woman, right? Because women aren't white. <laughs> Not all women are white. But like this idea that womanhood is white womanhood. And blackness yep. is black malehood, right? And this is what's so interesting about Shirley Chisholm, who's right behind me, right? When it's like, okay, in 72, it's like, well, we need a woman or, or a black person. So she's like, you know, goes to the black folks. It's like, okay, well, we said a black person. I'm here. And they're like, uh, we actually meant a black man. And then she goes to the women, Gloria Steinem and friends. And it's like, okay, you said a woman. And they were like, uh, well, we actually meant a white woman, right? And so it's like, right. If you want to say Just, woman, say white yeah. woman then, if that's what you're talking about. And so I think for my students, I'm really trying to be a lot more deliberate in my language because I, I don't allow them to say like, oh, well, I'm a minority. I'm like, listen, I'm a global majority. I'm a woman and a person of color. So globally, more people look like me and more people are, are either a woman or a person of color. So like, I'm not walking around saying that I'm a minority at all. And I think that in this country, because this mythology of white supremacy, anti-black racism, patriarchy, and capitalism is so embedded in our foundation, bell hooks you know, talks about this. We've got just folks believing the big lie. And the big lie is from before 1776. Come on. That's right. Oh, Dr. Christina Greer, my friend. We need hugs. We need hugs. We need hug time. We need cocktail time. We We need need walking time. time. We need all of those things. Thank you so much for making the time to give us uh, at Woke AF, a one-on-one, a one-on-one, and a one-on-one with me, uh, education as to where we are, how we got here, and where, if anywhere, we are headed. We appreciate you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. You know, I'm going to be starting something new. Uh, this week, and you tell me what you all will think about it. But I want to leave you kind of with uh, this moment of 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 zen, of reprieve, of rest. Um, I did a meditation uh, earlier this morning. I, I meditate in the morning and in the evening before I go to bed. I kind of try and sandwich my day in that way because you know so much happens. And in one of the meditations that I did um, today, and I use Insight Timer, there is Calm, there's Insight Timer, there you know, are many free apps that people can use. And what I like about Insight Timer is right now is that they will ask you, you know, to, with happy faces, where is your mood? Great, good, okay, bad, you know? Um, And then they will provide you with meditations that correspond with your mood. So this morning I did one that was on healing um, because I realized that we don't talk about healing and pain and trauma enough and grief and what it means to not just, you know, power through, um, bad situations or emotionally draining situations or traumatic, um, experiences and situations, but what it means to honestly sit in that, um, not sit in it as in to marinate, but to sit in and actually feel your feelings. Um, and, and recognize that, our life, right, isn't about how successful we are, isn't about how productive we are, but is about how aligned we can be in our state of being. We are so busy doing. I there was a meme that I saw that it was always a, that was human doing instead of human being that we never just kind of sit. We're told to fight through, muster on, you know, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. But nobody ever just says, sit, breathe, and feel, and allow what comes up to come up, right? Um, Not in a way to control it, but in a way to observe it. And so moving forward, 
with Woke AF, I'm going to do my best to provide us with an ending note um, that isn't one that is steeped in, in rage and frustration and anger, but is one that as a collective, we can use this show, use Woke AF and this platform to meditate on our rage, to get it out of our bodies, and then leave ourselves more leveled and more at peace for having gone through this exercise of of learning, expanding, and growing together. Anger and rage are important tools. And so I'm not saying we just pretend and be happy-go-lucky all the time, but I do believe that there is a, an alignment and a settle, a settling that needs to happen once we rid ourselves of that kind of energy. There is a coming back into our bodies that I think is going to be really important, particularly as we move forward in these very uncertain times. And so if you have tips and tactics and tricks that you are using to help keep your energy in a good place, in a glowing place, in a healing place, please, you know, let us know in the comment section or DM me, um, and, and let me know because I'm going to be looking for, um, opportunities for us to find rest after our rage on a daily basis, whether it be for a minute or 10, but just wanting to leave you all, um, in a better place than I do, than I have been, uh, when I pop off and then just cut out. So be on the lookout for that. As always, dear friends, power to the people and to all the people power, get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.